Well, as we get ready to head into Thanksgiving, I'm excited about Thanksgiving because why wouldn't you like a holiday that's all about eating, right? That's generally all of our holidays surround, you know, are about eating of some kind, but Thanksgiving's about eating, but it's also about giving thanks for what God has done in our lives, and, and Thanksgiving's a time for family. And as we move into this holiday season, I know that we're going to be spending a lot of time with our families and uh, hopefully that is a good thing for you and not a bad thing. But I know that, that it's a mixed bag with families, right? And we're finishing up this series called Crazy, but today we're, we're going to take a specific focus on the family and the kind of crazy that comes from family, the kind of crazy that we go through within our families, and how to deal with that from a, a Christ-centered perspective. But Jesus, as we've been using this theme verse... He spoke into all types of crazy 2,000 years ago in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He said, anyone who, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. It's not if the storm comes, it's not if crazy comes, it's when, right? And we've talked about this, looked at it from a couple different perspectives throughout this series. But specifically in the context of family, it's not when, or it's not if crazy comes in family, it's when. And how many of you, by a show of hands, would just say, I've gone through some crazy in my family? And you don't have to identify and say, it's my fault, right? But some of us were like, it's my fault. I am the producer of crazy. Uh, but maybe it's happened to you. Maybe there's been some deeply painful things that have happened. We know that there's abuse at times in the context of family. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the reality, that there's hurt. Uh, maybe some of you have been through divorce. I mean, I know some of you have. Maybe some of you have been through uh, brokenness in, in, with children and things that they do and mistakes they make and, and, and things like that and that of that nature. But there's crazy in the context of family. And we're going to talk about that today. You know, our God is a God of family. He cares about family. He loves the family unit. I love this, that in Scripture, God is identified as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a God not just of Abraham. Oh, I'm Abraham's God. He, when, when God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm a God of the family. I'm a God of generations. God is concerned not just with me and my generation and what's happening here, but he's concerned with the generation above, the generation I'm in, the generation below. He's concerned with generations, right? It says in Psalms 100, verse 5, the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. I'm glad that we serve a God of generations because I love my children very dearly. And I, and I don't want them to miss out on the thing that matters most to me, my relationship with Jesus. I'm glad that God wants to train me. I'm glad that God wants to hone my thinking and shape me. He's a God of generations. He wants me to be a man that thinks about future generations. You know, this is a, a brand new church. I loved what uh, Kyle said a couple weeks ago. He, he said, how many of you have been here less than a year? <laughs> and everybody raised their hand. Because we're all brand new at Joy Church. We just started in March. We're less than a year old. We'll have a party at, at a year anniversary. Maybe we'll have cake and put our faces in it like little kids do <laughs> on their first year birthday. Just, that just came to me. It was a prophetic word. Um, 
But you know, we're, we're making decisions right now. We're laying foundations. We're making choices about the way that our church will be governed and how we handle finances and how we operate certain things and, and creating policies and all that really fun stuff that's not really that much fun, but it's very important. And something the Lord continues to impress upon me as we lay foundations is that we want to do our very, very best and have wisdom and humility to allow God to lead us to create an, a structure, to create an organization that's going to be healthy and strong for when Jack and Evie and Liam and Thaddeus and Thatcher and Ayana and all the children, all the children, when, 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 when little Liam Finley gets to be pastor of Joy Church, right? When, when uh, one of Mark and Lori Harpam's grandkids is leading worship or however it works out, right? When, 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 we're, when we're talking about these generations, that we want to do things the right way because we care about generations. Why? Because God is a God of generations. He cares about the family. Luke chapter 1, verse 50, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God doesn't just want you to get it. He wants you to get it and your kids to get it and their kids to get it and their kids to get it and their kids to get it. God wants to see His faithfulness and His goodness and His truth passed on from generation to generation. For us, kids' ministry at Joy, at Joy Church is not just babysitting when the adults have real church. We want to see disciples of Christ formed from a very early age. In the other theater over there, they're having fun. They're singing songs. They're eating snacks. Sorry, you don't get a snack today, but, but they're doing fun stuff. But you know, the purpose of that is not just babysitting so that we can have real church. No, they are just as much engaging with the presence of God in worship. They are just as much engaging with the truth of God through the Word because we want to see a new generation rise up that even surpasses what we have done in our generation. Come on. God is a God of generations. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and He cares about the family. And so at Joy Church, we're committed to doing whatever it takes to, to, to equip and build strong families that will serve God from generation to generation. But as we talk about family, I know it can be an incredibly difficult topic for some because when it's good, it's really good. When your family is, in, is united and, and loving each other, it's awesome, isn't it? But when it's bad, it's really bad. And now, you know, I won't, I won't go into too much detail of my own story, but I, have, I grew up in a great family, and you guys got to see my parents a couple weeks ago, and they're awesome. They're, they were great parents. I have no complaints whatsoever, but, you know, we actually went through some crazy Right around the time that Bethany and I got married, we had conflict in my family. Uh, we had conflict with siblings. We had conflict uh, with in-laws. We had conflict with outlaws. You know, we had conflict, and there was things going on. And when it goes bad, when it's not functioning and working, it is so bad. Can I get an amen? Amen. But when it's good, it's, it's good. You know, and sometimes in family, it could just go to a, a whole nother level of crazy, right? How many of you say, like, yeah, my family's crazy, right? Anybody? Anybody? My family's crazy. And guess what? They're saying the same thing about you, right? Because if you think they're crazy, they look at you and they're like, that, ah, they're crazy too. So all of us get to, to be the crazy person at different times uh, in our life. And family can be like that. You know, I remember watching TGIF. Anybody a TGIF fan? Yeah, come on. Thank God it's Friday. And all the shows that would come on, you had uh, step by step, day by day, right? That was Patrick Duffy. Yeah, come on, bring it. How about Family Matters, right? And I do that. Family Matters. What about uh, Full House? Any Full House fans? Yeah, all right. Full House. How about uh, Boy Meets World? Come on, that was good. Gotta love Corey, Corey Matthews. Dinosaurs, anybody remember that one? That's a good show, yeah. 
Not the mama. Yes, thank you. Not the mama. How about sister, sister? Tia and Tamara. Come on, get it. Woo! Uh, all family, right? All these shows that everybody loved. I mean, to me, like, TGIF was the pinnacle of my week. You know, getting to watch. It was like TGIF. The shows were just better on TGIF. And it started off, and they had the theme music and all this kind of stuff. And all of these shows were about family. Think about that. And I went back and I looked, even the different times they were, you know, maybe it was a family that looks like this, or a family that looks like that, or a family of dinosaurs. But it was always a family, right? Why? Because it's compelling. Because it's relatable. Because all of us have, we all have a family, we've all walked with family. Sometimes the crazy situations they went through on TV, they gave us perspective on what we were walking through. That, that the, the, watching these families, how did they love each other? How did they work through conflict? How did they operate? It gave us a perspective on our own lives. But as crazy as some of the situations that they went through on TGIF, and I remember some crazy situations with Steve Urkel and uh, Full House and all these situations, Uncle Joey from Full House, right? Awesome stuff. But as crazy as these families were and as uh, kind of fun it was to watch and see what happened, the Bible has some, some doozies. Uh, the Bible has some stories about families that were very deeply, deeply dysfunctional, that walked through a lot of pain, that when you look at it, you just go, how did somebody make it, and how could God do anything through this family? I want to tell you a story about that today. There was a man in the Bible named Jacob, which I think is a great name, right, being that I bear it. And uh, uh, Jacob is one of those names, when you actually know the meaning of the name Jacob, you go, really, Mom? Uh, why did you name me that, Dad? It means heel catcher. means deceiver supplanter. And uh, I never wanted to live up to my name in, in that way. Jake, you know, he's a, he's a heel catcher and a deceiver. It just sounds so, so slimy. But that was Jacob's name. He came out of the womb clutching onto his brother's heel. Uh, he always was striving to, to, for, for people to see his value, to see his worth. And Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. So we talked about God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So his father was Isaac and his mother was Rebekah. He had an older brother named Esau. And uh, the story goes, and you can read it in, in the book of Genesis. There's a bunch of chapters about it. I'd encourage you to go and look through that. But the story goes that Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. And that, needless to say, didn't make Esau super happy with his brother. And he was so angry that he began to talk about killing Jacob. Jacob deceived Esau, and Jacob's mom said, you, you need to get out of here. Uh, he's so angry at you. Uh, he wants to kill you. Go don't take a, a wife from the people here. Go to our family uh, back in, in Padan Aram and, and, and find a wife, but you need to get out of here. So Jacob takes off. So his family's crazy right away. Mom and dad have issues. Uh, he has issues with his brother. There's already conflict. He goes to his uncle's people to find a wife. On his way, and I just want to make a quick footnote here. On his way, he, he, he rests and he puts his head on a rock and he has a vision that night of uh, of angels coming, uh, ascending and descending on a, a ladder from heaven, and he calls this place, he says, this is Bethel, literally the house of God. God is here, though I did not know it when I laid my head down. God is here. Jacob has an encounter with God. For the first time that we see in Scripture, he's, he's not deceiving or doing anything, he just meets with God, and he gets up the next day and he goes on. He arrives at his destination and he, he meets the love of his life. He meets Rachel. And he helps Rachel... Uh, water the sheep, and he follows her home and ends up discovering that it's actually his relatives. And I don't, you know, know why Bible characters always want, went to their relatives to find spouses. I don't recommend that uh, anymore. If, you, if we get a divorce, will you still be my cousin? You know, uh, anyways, 
told you it's crazy family. So the family tree's a bamboo shoot, you know. And, uh, you know, young men, if you go to family reunions to pick up chicks, stop it. Just don't do it. So anyways, Jacob, he meets Rachel, he falls in love, and he talks to his uncle Laban, and Laban was a real piece of work. Uh, Laban was an interesting guy, and he says, well, you know, you could work for me for seven years to, to earn the hand of my daughter, and Jacob's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in love with her, I, I'll do it. Here's a, here's a poor young kid, doesn't have anything, he's got a, a pack on his back, right, and a bunch of head full of dreams, and he says, sure, I'll work seven years. How many of you young men would work seven years to get married? You're like, sure, I'm 18, I can make that happen, 25, get married, right, get to work, all right. So his uncle puts him to work, and the time flies by because he's so in love. And I imagine him catching glances of Rachel and, you know, winking at her and trying to look cool as he's doing his work. And the wedding comes, and uh, his uncle does something really, really awesome to Jacob. Jacob goes into the tent. It's the wedding night. And Uncle Laban brings in older sister Leah. And Jacob and Leah consummate this marriage. The next day he wakes up and it's not his beloved. Now I don't know how drunk you have to be to not realize this, but apparently they were drinking some really, really hardcore stuff at this moment in history. Uh, I don't know, but anyways, he's tricked. He wakes up and he's absolutely furious. And I go, yeah, I would be pretty upset myself. And Laban says, well, fulfill her week of wedding and then work seven more years for me and, and you can have Rachel as well. And so Jacob ends up with two wives through this trickery, through this bad situation in family. Uh, and they're two sisters. And, you know, I don't think you need to really guess too much of how well that worked out. Because they become rivals. And Jacob has a deep affection and a love for Rachel, but he doesn't love Leah. He, he, he's her husband. He fulfills his marital duties. He provides for her, protects her, but he does not love her. And this creates a deep hurt, and they become rivals, and now all of a sudden Leah begins to have children and, and bring children into the family, which was the, this great you know, thing for the family, and, and Rachel can, and they begin to be rivals, and all this conflict happens. And there was just so much pain. So much pain. These two sisters that are a rival, this man that has these sisters that he has to, I mean, just the craziness of this, these kids that are growing up in this kind of an environment, and there's so much pain. But then this dysfunctional family still has to deal with dysfunctional Uncle Laban, right? And so they make this great decision. They decide to go into business together. Because as we all know, when your family's dysfunctional, the best thing you can do is get money involved. <laughs> right? We have very, very poor communication. Let's start a business together. Right? You don't like me. I don't like you. We don't communicate well. We're all tied up on the inside emotionally. And, you know, let's go into business together. So they go into business together, and it just does not work out. Jacob ends up prospering and doing well for Laban, and Laban gets really rich, and then Jacob says, well, if you'd give me all the spotted and speckled sheep and goats, and he goes on and operates this strategy. God gives them wisdom, and then they prosper, but eventually it's, it's just not going to work, and so they have to divide. So Jacob actually takes his family and gets out in the middle of the night. Laban chases them down. It's just a big dysfunctional mess. They make every mistake that a family can have. You have a broken marriage, dysfunctional broken marriage, broken and dysfunctional child raising, broken and dysfunctional perspective of dealing with relatives and communication, broken and dysfunctional with money, broke, I mean just broken dysfunctional. How many of you are like, this is my life story? <laughs> and Jacob, his family's crazy. He ends up going back to his, old, his, his land uh, where he came from and he meets up with his brother and he ends up sending 
basically an entire ranch out in front. All these sheep, all these goats, his kids, then concubines and wives, and they're all going, and finally him, and he sees Esau, and Esau luckily doesn't want to kill him, even though he's worried. And Esau says, why don't you come dwell with me? And Jacob's like, okay, sure, we'll be right along, and he doesn't go. So the, the, the tension continues, the tension remains. And then Jacob's family is in this land, and they're operating, and his children are grown, and something really tragic happens, as often happens in families, is that somebody in the family gets deeply wounded and, and hurt. And Jacob has a daughter named Dinah. And one day Dinah is out in a field or goes into a town and she gets raped by a young man who's actually the prince of this town. And it's a tragedy. And this young man says, you know, he does this horrible thing, and he's, and he, but he does say, you know, he doesn't, he's not happy about it. He feels bad. He says, I actually love her. I want to marry her. He tries to make it right. And it's a horrible situation. And Jacob's sons hear about it, and they come and they tell their father, this is what's gone on, and he just kind, of, just kind of doesn't do anything. And he fails to respond properly in this, this family crisis moment. And so because he abdicates his position as the father to do something, his sons take matters into their own hands, and they go in and they end up slaughtering all the males of an entire town. They murder all the men, they plunder it, take the women and the children, they act like Vikings. They go in and they do this horrible thing, and at the end... At the end of Genesis chapter 34, I believe it's 34, Jacob says, You've made, you made me stink. We stink to all the people. We are now murderers. We, we have done a horrible thing. He gets to rock bottom. His daughter has been raped. He's failed to act as a, as a good father now. His sons have done this horrible thing. They've stolen. They've, they've created an, this ginormous mess. And it's the very lowest point of this family that, again, has just had so much pain, so much heartache, so much dysfunction. And you go, man, God said he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, I know, right? But let me just tell you something that's incredible about God. God doesn't give up on you when you've made a mess of your life. Sometimes all you can bring to God is a bunch of broken pieces, and he can take that and create a masterpiece. That's the kind of God we serve. Listen to what God says to Jacob, because it gets better from this point forward. Genesis 35, verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel. Remember Bethel, it's the house of God. He says, Move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. Everybody, put on your best. We're going to church. Right? Hey, little Jimmy, put out your pot pipe. Right? Sheila, you know, you need to put more clothes on. Look like you're wearing something from the baby gap, right? Get, that shirt was half off, literally. Come on. Get dressed. Put away your idols. Get purified. We're going to church. God said, get your family. Jacob, listen, you are in a desperate moment. Go to the house of God. Go to Bethel. Settle there and build an altar there. So Jacob says, put on clean clothing. We are now going to God's house. We're going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. Can I tell you what's happening right here? This is the moment where dad puts his foot down and says, now, finally, we're going to move out of crazy. Let me just challenge you, men. When God speaks, take your family, get them to the house of God, settle them there, and build an altar there. It's on you, dad. It's on you. Now, if you're like, I'm a single mom, then it's on you, single mom. But, but, but take your responsibility. Say, you know what? Now it's time. Everybody get ready. Get in the car. I don't want to. I don't care. Get in here. You want to eat Mickey D's afterwards? You're going to church today. Let me tell you how, how optional it was for me to go to church as a kid. It wasn't optional. 
And you go, well, are you, are you completely scarred from this totally repressive religious upbringing? Sure, probably. But let me tell you, let me tell you though something. I have a deep passion for God's house because a mom and a dad modeled to me what it meant to go to Bethel, to settle there, and to build an altar there, to say, this is where we build our life. And remember what Jesus said, he who builds his life on the rock. When the storm comes, it will not crash. And yet we like to build sandcastles all the time with our family, don't we? Dad, if you're more concerned with the sports score on Saturday than the time that church starts on Sunday, your priorities are out of order. Well, I work hard during the week, and you know, Sunday's my time to be lazy. Sure, if you don't care about the destiny of your children, then go ahead and skip. But if you care about the God who said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you want to build a generation... You want your children to love Jesus. You want your children to have, have the advantages maybe that you didn't have spiritually. Then come on, be committed to the house of God. Be committed to the ways of God. Be committed to the purposes of God. Be a good model. God says, Jacob, now it's time. Go to the house of God. Settle there. Plant yourself there. And build an altar there. And it says in chapter 35, verse 9, Now that Jacob, now that Jacob had returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him. Again, at Bethel, the house of God. And God blessed him, saying, listen to this. This is amazing. He says, your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. In other words, I will change your core identity from the striver, the deceiver, the heel catcher, the one who wrestles. From now on, your name will be Israel. Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land. I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Incredible promises that God gives Jacob. And Jacob didn't do things the right way. He didn't earn it. This is an act of God's graciousness. And God wants to give us, his, he wants to turn his face upon us and give us grace. Even with our brokenness and our dysfunctional family, making the wrong choices and doing the wrong thing and bringing a big a, you know, handful of a mess to God. But because Jacob was willing to bring his family back to the house of God, and I don't have time to go into what this means. I don't just mean going to church on Sunday. That's part of it. But it means saying, family, we are now going to root ourselves on, what, on, on God, on his kingdom, on his purposes, on his ways. We're going to root ourselves in his word. We're going to listen to God. We're not going to be the smartest person in the room. We're going to say, no, we trust in the living God. Amen. What does it mean for you to bring your family to God's house? Right. Giving Christ the, the preeminent position, the prominent position of leadership. And Jacob brought his family through a bunch of crazy, but he brought them back to the rock. Literally the rock. The place that he laid his head. It's a picture of Christ. He brought his family back to the place that, they, that he encountered God, and that was the place that his family would then encounter God. It was the place where the destiny of this family would be turned upside down from a trajectory of murderers and uh, terrible situations. There's more we could go into. Uh, uh, their sexuality was a mess. They had wrong things going on. I mean, it was a mess. And if you want, it's better than reality TV. Read the Bible. Uh, you're just like, man, this is nuts. God, you put this in your book? Yeah, because he wants to show this is how bad it can be, right? And, uh, but Jacob brought his family back to the place of the rock, to the place of encountering God. And I want to give you three things this morning as we close, what God can do with a crazy family when you bring your family back to the rock. Maybe you need to encounter God today. Maybe you need to, to put, your, put your faith and trust and build on the rock so that you can bring your family to there, bring your family to that. 
what can God do with a crazy family? Number one, God can bring blessing and beauty out of brokenness. I love this about God. God can bring blessing and beauty out of tremendous brokenness. How many of you have experienced this and encountered this? You know, I, I love my dad with a passion, and, and you guys saw my dad a couple weeks ago. And we were talking on the phone the other day, and he was kind of saying, ah, you know, I haven't done a great job in this area, that area. I said, Dad, honestly, you've done such a f- phenomenal job because what he was given as a, as a son from his father was not at all what he gave to me. He gave me so much more than he was given. Why? Because he served a God that can bring beauty and blessing out of brokenness. My dad tells stories about going in and, and trying to talk to his dad, and his dad would be so depressed, my grandpa. And my grandpa ended up getting better towards the end of his life. But, but my grandpa, as a, a working man, you know, in his 30s and 40s with small children, my dad remembers walking in and seeing two spires of smoke, one coming up off the coffee cup and one coming out of the cigarette, and his dad with his head in his hands that would just sit at a table all day, too depressed to even step out to go look for work. You know, and I think about what my dad gave to, to my fam, what he gave to me. He reversed the curse. He turned the game around. Let me just tell you right now, maybe you came from a bad circumstance, but God can bring blessing and beauty out of tremendous brokenness. Come on. God can bring beauty and blessing. God can give you a brand new name. He said, Jacob, you're no longer going to be the, the heel catcher, the deceiver. You're Israel. You're a prince with God. You are, uh, it means God will prevail. God will prevail. You're not going to be a loser always trying to catch up. You're going to be a family of prevailers, a a family of victorious people. You're no longer going to be known by this name. Your family identity at a core level is going to be changed. Come on. You don't have to be that family anymore. Well, we're the family that, that's this, or we're the family that's that. We're alcoholics, we're druggies, we're, we're, we're sexually immoral, we're whatever. No, God wants to change your name right now in this moment. God wants to change your name and bring blessing and beauty out of brokenness. Number two, God can bring purpose out of pain. He can give you a new level of fruitfulness. Israel, what Jacob was called, you are now Israel, would become a great nation. You realize who his 12 sons were. They were the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus came out of the tribe of Judah, which was one of Jacob's sons. God turned that family around and brought purpose out of their pain. Because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. See, maybe you think that, well, our story is written. No, it's not. Your story is not finished. The bell has not rung. God has more for you, more for your family. He can bring purpose out of the painful moments. God can bring purpose out of the dysfunctional moments. And he said, you're going to have kings out of your descendants. King David, one of the greatest figures out of the scripture, he came from Jacob's line. Every great person, Samson, Jephthah, right? All these people, they came, the judges of Israel, the kings of Israel, the prophets of Israel. They came from Israel. And you say, what could God do with our family of drug addicts? What could God do with our family that's been sexually immoral? What could God do with our family that's had sexual abuse even in our family? What could God do with our family? God can bring kings out of your descendants. God can bring purpose out of pain. Come on. And I believe that God wants to do incredible things, not just in our lives, but from generation to generation to generation. I don't think that the greatest things that are going to happen in our church are going to happen in the first 50 years. They're going to happen later, down into history. When, we've, when we're planning churches, God is going to use our children and grandchildren to do even greater things than we've done. That is the vision that God wants to stir in our hearts. And number three, God can bring destiny out of dysfunction. He said, I will give you a land to dwell, and I will give you an inheritance. 
Jacob probably thought that he messed it up, that he was too dysfunctional. And he said, no, listen, Grandpa Abraham, Father Isaac, and son Jacob, listen, I will give you an inheritance. I'm a God of generations. I'm going I'm to bring you through. I'm going to give you this good land to dwell in that carries on from generation to generation. I want to tell you right now, father and mother, that God wants to give you an inheritance, a heritage of faith. Uh, Paul, when he talked to his spiritual son, Timothy, he said, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. He talked about his, his faith that, that came from his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, or maybe it's reversed, I don't remember, but it was a, a heritage of faith. God wants to give you a heritage of faith. That right now, from this moment, whatever it's been like in the past, that from this day forward, now you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, a good land to dwell in, an inheritance. God can bring destiny even out of dysfunction. And I know there's a lot of dysfunction out there. I've seen it. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in other families. I know there's a a tremendous amount of dysfunction. But don't count out the God factor. Put your life, found your life on the rock of Christ. And God can do incredible things, even with a crazy family. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Let's praise Him today. Let's give Him glory. Father, we worship You in this place. We worship you in this place, God. You are amazing.